Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast. Today, we are lucky and honored to have our guest, Lynn Dickey, PhD. Lynn has an extensive background leading and managing research and development activities of cross-functional groups in product and technology development with a focus on plant-made pharmaceuticals. Dr. Dickey was previously the VP of Research and Technology at Biolex Therapeutics, where she oversaw the development of the Lemna plant-based core technology, including genetic engineering, bioanalytics, product development, and design of the aseptic biomanufacturing format. She continued her work with this technology at Synthon Pharmaceuticals as the VP of R&D and general manager of the U.S. bioproduction site. Prior to Biolex, Dr. Dickey was a research assistant professor in the Department of Botany at North Carolina State University, where she led research programs focused on the molecular biology of gene expression in transgenic plants. Lynn, we're really great to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, um, Lemna, it's really, I guess, a little bit of an unknown uh, in the plant-based conversation. So, I wonder if you can just let us know a little bit about Lemna and 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 why it's something that you've been focused on. Yes, yes, I'll do that. Uh, Lemna, first of all, most people know it as duckweed. Uh, and duckweed is really found everywhere, all over the world. It grows in usually uh, non-moving water, uh, regular um, lakes and streams. Uh, can't be fast-moving, can't be salt water. Uh, it's uh, very easy to grow lemna. In fact, lemna is the fastest-growing um, plant uh, there is, and those of you that know kudzu, and especially in the south, it grows faster than that. Uh, and so it's very easy to propagate. Um, also, lemna is the smallest um, plant uh, there is. So that also makes it very easy to work with. It floats just on top of the water, and it uh, it reproduces just by budding off. So you don't have to have a flower, you don't have any pollen, uh, you just let it grow and divide. Uh, so early on, um, uh, when plants were first thought of to make biopharmaceuticals, uh, the industry thought, well, this would be a great production system because uh, number one, you don't have to grow it outside. Uh, you don't have to wait for any sort of flowering or pollen. Uh, and it's just very, very easy to grow. I mean, you can grow it in your kitchen. You can grow it outdoors. You can grow it anywhere. Uh, so uh, also on top of that, uh, for biopharmaceuticals um, and therapeutic proteins, uh, Limna produces a lot of protein. It's one of the highest uh, naturally producing um, protein uh, in the plant world. So it's also good for that. Uh, so there are many reasons uh, why we chose it. Uh, and I will say back in the probably the early uh, 2000s, uh, the traditional biomanufacturing 
uh, all sort of thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. You're using duckweed <laughs> for biopharmaceuticals. Um, but uh, the more you think about it, the more you grow it, um, the more you produce therapeutic proteins, which is what we did at Biolex, uh, the more convincing it is. Uh, it's just one of the easiest production systems uh, you can use and also um, very environmentally friendly uh, and many, many other attributes. So um, that's why in phyloceuticals, um, we decided uh, to um, add duckweed to our system um, so we can make um, vaccines, uh, we can make antibodies and many other proteins. Right. Yeah. So um, that that's so interesting how prevalent it is um, <laughs> that, you know, it's almost like on your kitchen window kind of a solution. Not that I'm sure that's oversimplifying it. Um, and, uh, you know, with this sort of targeting of more personalized and precision medicines, um, it sounds like it's a great candidate uh, for those kinds of solutions that folks are searching for. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm I wonder, you know, how do you how do you get started in something like this? Like, so when they when they you know you come through high school and you're heading into college and you're thinking to yourself, you know, boy, I just want to sit down there and study some duckweed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be very neat if it started out like that. <laughs> no, um, when how I got into this, it actually took a while. Um, uh, I was one of those high school students that really didn't know what I wanted to major in. I uh, first thought I wanted to go into psychology. And then um, I took a general science a lab my freshman year and had to identify uh, chemicals and compounds. And I thought, man, this is kind of fun. I like this. So I changed my major and I changed my um, my location and I went to North Carolina State University um, and I got into plants. Um, so I got my degree first in horticulture. Um, but along that way. Um, my first job was in a laboratory working with plants and soil. And then I started taking a lot of biochemistry and more organic chemistry and all that. And then I got my PhD in biochemistry. Uh, and then I started working in an academic lab uh, with tobacco. So um, just studying in general um, gene regulation it didn't have anything to do with um, with private industry or um, with making therapeutics. Um, <clears throat> but as time went on and then, you know, I'm I'm old enough to tell you and admit that um, DNA technology was just becoming uh, unraveled. And so I thought, gee, I really want to get into that. And there's this job that popped up at, at the university. Uh, join, please join us. Um, we're just starting a new company with duckweed. Um, we're going to make biopharmaceuticals. I thought, wow, 
that'd be really cool. (laughs) And I loosely knew of the professor um, and I knew of someone that was with her and they called me up and said, would you be interested? And I said, yes. So I joined this teeny little lab with five people in it and um, we started making transgenic lemna. Uh, and then we made our first few human proteins, uh, and, uh, some venture capitalists decided that it was sounded like a good, um, a good venture. So they gave us a million dollars, which seemed to be a lot then it was 1999. Uh, and we got off and going and rented a space in Pittsburgh and North Carolina and, then we got very businessy people coming in and they knew what they were doing in the business world more more than we did. And um, so we got off and going and had many um, uh, uh, very well-known um, biotech companies, um, mainly uh, wanting us to prove ourselves to their um, their engineers that use the traditional systems. Um, and so they would pay us and we would make their proteins and, you know, and then they would decide what to do. So that's pretty much um, how I got into it. Never even knew what duckweed was in, <laughs> in, in high school. Um, but the more I got into biopharmaceuticals and human therapeutics, um, just the more exciting it got. And, um, yeah, I have to admit, I was first one of those academics. Um, that always kind of snubbed industry going, oh, you know, they, they just don't think broadly enough. And then I got into private industry and I thought, wow, those academics just don't think broadly enough <laughs> because once your world really expanded into business, human disease, uh, transgenic plants, um, uh, statistical analysis, whether you wanted to do it or not, all of those things just came yeah, together, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So that's how I got into it. I guess I was a late bloomer, but um, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't think anyone really follows that straight path. I, yeah, I very few. Yeah, very few. Yeah. Um, I've talked to people who started out in business and ended up as MDs, and I'm like, that's a story. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, a Wharton like MBA, uh, and then a, a, a an NYU doctor. So wow. interesting, orthopedic as well. Yeah, curious, right? So yeah. I wonder, um, where are the types of solutions and therapies that this kind of where this can be applied? Like, can uh, I, I? I think we talked about vaccines because we've talked about that as far as. Um, pharmaceuticals, but I mean, I guess broadly, um, it could be a replication of an existing, maybe say, cancer therapy, um, where it could uh, create maybe a lower cost solution or a solution that's not available broadly uh, to the patient population. So, are there like categories? Um, I've heard some people talk about, you know, they're recreating lungs from um, chickpeas and some other stuff. I don't know exactly. I'm not going to get that technically correct, but the, <laughs> it seems like there's a broad use case for it. Um, and so for, for the Lemna application, I'm sure there's a specific focus that's, yeah, or maybe it's just I, for everything. I think what makes it unique and also makes 
uh, using plant systems in general unique, um, but being biased, I have to say, especially in Limna, um, is that the system, the platform of making um, biotherapeutics is so much more simple than the traditional systems. Um, they all, most of them rely on um, mammalian cell culture, and um, that requires a huge amount of environmental control, stainless steel, um, things that can't be transported and relocated very easily. Um, it's an engineer's dream, you know, in the very uh, traditional sense, because there's just so much to control. Very, very um, finicky. <laughs> I mean, it works, of course, yeah. but um, that makes it very expensive and high cost. And um, the buildings it's themselves are hugely expensive and take a long time to build. Um, they're just not simple. Uh, something yeah. like duckweed or tobacco, etc. Um, they're very simple. They're plants. They know how to grow. They don't need a lot of exogenous control. Um, and is the technology has gotten to be so um, uh, developed, I would say, that uh, it's not at all hard to make, say, a transgenic plant or in tobacco, a transient expression of biotherapeutics. Uh, and it's the, the methods are worked out, let's just say that. And so the cost is uh, drastically less, um, especially with infrastructure. The speed is um, very fast. Um, to get uh, uh, duckweed culture up and going um, transgenically and also um, other plants like tobacco. And um, so it just the whole thing is more simple. Um, it can go anywhere, like the equipment you need is very simple, very cheap, very transportable. And also you can have like I mean, you could do it in these, um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, very easy to transport um, containers, like you could use a pod or something like that and move it somewhere and get it going if you had enough of them. It's just um, very easy. And so that makes it desirable these days when um, you want to be able to distribute drugs. And I'm talking about the more complicated therapeutic, um, big, big molecules, not the small ones, because um, yeah. you can do that in a chemistry lab. But um, yeah, so it just makes it a lot more amenable to being fast, reactive to, say, the COVID vaccine, or when they get an RSV vaccine, or something like that, and we're starting to have a pandemic in another area. So the reaction there is very fast and um, less expensive. Also for um, individuals sort of um, medicine in the biotherapeutic world, you can also do it on a very small scale. Um, yeah, yeah. And you can quickly react to whatever need um, there is to make these therapeutic proteins, whether it be large um, and uh, global or whether it be very small right beside a hospital. So, you know, it's just very flexible.
yeah, and I think that's a huge advantage um, over the traditional systems. Yeah. So I wonder sometimes what is the kind of barrier to, I don't know if it's a real barrier, but what, I mean, this is, we're seeing a convergence now, I think in 2022, and, and as we look forward for a real requirement to be not just carbon friendly, but carbon neutral. And in some cases we might be looking for people to be carbon negative, which is contributing yes. back. Um, so this, this is like perfectly positioned for that. Uh, as you mentioned, some of these facilities are extremely expensive to operate. They require a high amount of utilities, uh, logistics, uh, and it's not a simple process, as you said. Mm-hmm. And then there's layers of expense on top of those processes to ensure that they're all working and up to snuff and that their FDA finds them to be compliant. Um, and when you do have some very complex systems, things can break down. And then, as you mentioned, um, the rapid deployment for wherever it's necessary in an agile format when it's required. So we're not waiting 24, 36, 48 months uh, to to provide a response to something that has, you know, come up, as you said, in a pandemic somewhere on the globe. Um, And I also think that um, large batch has its own sort of challenges in, in, in making sure that they remain you know, homogenous across the batch, right? You've just got such big scale up in some cases. Um, and when you do produce at such high volumes, the, the the goal is economics, but if you've got an issue, then you're tossing an entire batch and that's extremely expensive. So this sort of on-demand as it's required, you don't need any of this enhancement to give it a shelf life. Um, there's just so many different things I think that make it really attractive and in today's world that's what people are asking for um you brought up the shipping containers and and i've seen uh (laughs) many like you know trying to make a mini bioreactor and now you don't even need to if you're going to use a plant-based system i guess the one thing you know you don't need all that but i wonder so how does the process um so I know some plants are in roller and rack-based systems that are, are vertical. I don't believe the lemma is vertical. This is more of like in a racetrack. That's right. Yeah. Um, this is different um, even than what we used at Biolex um, back in the day. And we did that. Um, the way we did it at Biolex was for many reasons, but also to fit into the traditional biopharma world and to all the regulatory agencies at that time because it was such more of a rare event to be using a plant system so we mimicked and you could um a lot of the traditional um methods like using sterile disposable bags and um and we probably over engineered it just so that we could be um, accepted faster, you know, back in the early 2000s. But we've come a long way now, and there's there people are much more accepting of it, which allows us now, instead of using the Biolex technology of growing it, um, we now can go like everybody used to say, just grow it anywhere, grow it in in the ground with say a um, hard plastic liner 
and you'll just have little streams or racetracks or canals. I like to think of the canals they have in the Netherlands, you know, that's where duckweed loves to grow. Yeah, and that's how it does grow too. So we can do that now and uh, we can get its acceptance um, from the pharma world and also from the regulators now that there's so much more known about it. And that lowers the cost and just the flexibility of it even more. Um, so, uh, and I think that's a huge advantage to going large scale uh, because Lemna is the fastest growing plant, the smallest plant, uh, and it really loves to grow in very easy uh, uh, structures like these little canals or really big canals and you can make them whatever every size you want to and the minimum controls on the temperature um, we've been looking um, in states like uh, say south dakota where it's going to get very cold we can do it there we could do it somewhere that um, the average temperature is above 80 with minimal environmental control. I mean, Lemna has a perfect temperature that maybe you would grow it at to get the fastest growth, but you're not going to lose your system and it's not going to um, damage your product. So I think that's the big advantage. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, one other thing I was thinking about when you asked that was um, oftentimes in the traditional systems, um, like the cell cultures, they they only last for so long until uh, uh, gene abnormalities occur and they have to begin again with a new batch. So they right. do have to batch it uh, with lemna because it's always growing in culture. Uh, you don't have to start over a batch. You can continuously harvest it as you're growing it in these um, in these canals or, or racetracks. So um, you don't have to clean everything out and start over again with a new batch. You just keep harvesting. It regenerates itself. You get more biomass. You harvest that. Um, now you can, if you decide, if you find that you're going to change a facility to go to another um, therapeutic protein, uh, you can easily flush that out, you know, clean it, and then start with a new um, transgenic. So that's that's not a problem either. Uh, so I, I think for those reasons, it's even uh, naturally developed even better over the years just because of acceptance. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably have disposable liners and just... Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just throw them away, autoclave them or burn them or whatever, you know, yeah. method. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they now have, like, corn-based plastics. So uh, yeah, so you can get rid of it. And that's not even, it's, like you said, environmentally friendly. You're not making a carbon footprint. And after all, you're using a, a, a green plant, you know, what? Yeah, or to introduce into the environment. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. That's... But that gets to something that is also a hot point. Um, people are often afraid uh, with transgenic plants. What if they released into the environment? Uh, and that 
it is a valid concern for anyone in the therapeutic world, but uh, lemna that is transgenic can be engineered such that it won't grow and outcompete other duckweed in the environment. So gotcha. you can um, you can engineer it such that the environmental exposure is um, not a risk as far as the ther uh, the transgenic uh, limit getting getting out. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, it's not like a bamboo taking over the world. Right, and that that hurt um, back in the day um, in the in the nineties. Uh, there was a company that did have a. I guess it was a transgenic corn or soybean. Now I, I'm not remembering which that got out into the regular field by mistake. It just wasn't taken out completely. And that caused a huge, um, huge problem and resistance among the traditional biopharma and also the regulators. So I think, you know, the world has proven itself since then. Um, gotcha. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know what? I um, even more today learning about just all the possibilities. Um, it's not well known, I don't think, as we talked a little bit earlier in the conversation, but it's definitely something that sounds like it's extremely viable. And, um, you know, the time's right uh, if you think about all the compelling points that you were making. Um, I want to say that um, this conversation's been very, very informative. I think that um, just to round out our conversation today, uh, we've known each other for a while now. And um, one of the things that, you know, I do just to, to find out about guests is kind of look for some publications and research for conversation topics and things like that. And, you know, when I Google uh, Lynn Dickey, um, the quarterback comes up from the Packers and I wonder... <laughs> That's funny. That's Is that actually what we expect to see. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one reason I add my middle initial to any of my publications. I don't want them to think that uh, the Green Bay Packers, Lynn, Lynn Dickey wrote the paper. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Lynn Dickey's name is following. Of course, I married into the name. I wasn't. Um, that wasn't my main name. But uh, whenever I've gone to conferences in the Midwest, um, especially the Midwest, people will approach me and say something like, you don't look like Lynn Dickey. Um, <laughs> and then my favorite uh, story about being confused with him was when I worked at Biolex in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, some news person, uh, sports news person, got a hold of my name and called me up. In, in at Biolex, you know, which is a, a biopharmaceutical company in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, and asked me if I was Lynn Dickey, and I said yes, and he wanted to know um, what I thought about the upcoming Super Bowl. <laughs> I love that. I think it's hilarious. And if only you had answered, right? I know. I, could, I, wasn't, I really wasn't clever enough to have a good answer. And I if you had flabbergasted. And if you had predicted correctly, can you imagine? Vegas would be all over you. Oh, my gosh. I could have a new career. You know? That yeah. is so funny. So yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, Lynn, I really want to thank you. What a great conversation today. 
Um, as always, um, you know, what you share is really informative. And I think the work that you're doing is extremely compelling. Uh, and I just want to say thanks a lot for joining us today on the Lifesphere podcast. My my pleasure. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Lifesphere, where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.